0: So you have these counselors of foreign kings, astrologers, wise men, magi, that load up, travel over land and sea, travel days and weeks and months to come and visit who? Just a normal person? Just to visit an a, a, a average baby that had been born? No, a, a king. This is the birth of a king. Then you go one chapter over. So here's where we are. A king was prophesied, a king was foretold to marry, Jesus was born and celebrated like a king, and then there's a herald, chapter 3, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. So this is John the Baptist whose responsibility in the story of God's people is to get God's people ready for the king who has been born to take his throne to begin to step into his kingdom. You have all been to court, I'm sure, because someone else did something wrong and not because you did something wrong. But when you're there and everybody's just kind of mealing around and there's some whispering going on, the bailiff walks in and stands up and said, "Uh, please rise, Uh, your honorable such and such, such and such and such and such. And the judge walks in and he takes his seat. The bailiff is the herald. The bailiff is prepared. The bailiff is He's here. That's John the Baptist's role. Jesus is here, and not just Jesus as an individual, but Jesus as the king. The king is here. The king is getting ready to step into his kingdom. Then at the end of chapter 3, look what happens, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Baptist at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. And after Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. So was the king prophesied. A king foretold to marry, a king born, a king heralded. And now here at Jesus' baptism, look what happens. The skies open and the Holy Spirit comes down. This is Jesus' inauguration. Instead of an earthly crown, he's crowned with the Spirit of God. This is a king taking his place in his kingdom. How how do we know that? Because he immediately begins to preach and proclaim his kingdom. The end of chapter 4 Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains. The demon possessed the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. And large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea. And beyond the Jordan. So look who the first charter members of Jesus' kingdom are. It's not the rich. It's not the powerful. It's not the influential. It's those who were afflicted. Those suffering from various diseases. Those suffering from various intense pains. The demon-possessed. The epileptics. And the paralytics. And it's not just these specific afflictions that Jesus had a heart for. Because if you had one of these afflictions, eventually you were going to be pushed off to the periphery of society. Because if you have epilepsy today and you have an epileptic moment, I guess that you are not going to, number one, because you have some kind of medicine. They didn't have medicine in the first century. If you did have an episode here, we would all pick up our cell phones and call you an ambulance at the same time. Because that is an advantage that we have. And they would take you to the hospital and they would work you up and we would all be praying for you. But I think we would assume that you were going to be fine if you had epilepsy. But if you're in the first century and you have epilepsy and your first episode, people don't know what to do. And so, but maybe the episode is over and things go back to normal, but then you have another one and then you have another one and you have another one. Eventually, everyone's going to look around and go, I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to do. Eventually, you're going to be pushed to the side. If you are a paralytic, today you have some advantages that they didn't have in the first century. Eventually, the paralytics were going to be pushed to the side. If you were demon-possessed, eventually they're not going to know what to do with you. And you're just going to end up living outside of the village, kind of wandering in, totally homeless. If you have intense pain and you shriek out, everybody's going to rally around you in the first century. But they're not going to know, know what to do with you. And if that intense pain keeps happening, eventually they're going to say, we can't help you and you're going to get pushed to the side. And, and these people who had been pushed to the side, these are the charter members of the kingdom of Jesus. So, if you're thinking, I'm going to use the kingdom of Jesus to become more rich and more powerful and more influential, we need to remember who the very first people he invited into it were. And then he begins to preach the most famous sermon in the history of the world. Chapter 5, verse 1 When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So here we are, a king foretold, a king proclaimed to Mary, a king born, a king heralded, a king anointed, a a king uh, proclaiming his own kingdom and and, and now he is telling us what life inside his kingdom is like and look what it's like. It is like justice. It's like justice. Let's just take it apart. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In the kingdom of Jesus, there is justice for the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is there. Uh, we, We can define The poor, easily, that's just based on income. That's just based on what your net assets are. That's just based on your profit loss spreadsheet. That's easy to define, but it's harder to define somebody who's poor in spirit. But I think we know it when we see it. I think we know it when we bump into it. A few years ago, I was on a trip to India. I was invited by a friend. It was just a real small uh, little team of us, and we were over there doing some real brief ministry. And while we were there, our host said, would you like to see the work that we're doing in the red light district here in our city? And their city was a city of eight million people. So it's a city you've never heard of that's bigger than the whole Houston metro area. And we, of course, said, yeah, we want to see your work wherever you want to show it to us. And they say, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to drive down to the red light district, but you're going to have to, uh, you know, We're going to have to follow some rules. First of all, they're going to just drop us off on the main street, and then they're going to leave us. They're going to drive off. And that kind of sounded a little bit weird to us. And they said, well, you're going to need sunglasses because you, you don't want to look people in the eye, and at the same time, you don't want to not look them in the eye. So I'm like, holy cow, I'm overwhelmed because do you want me to stare at their eyes or do you not want me to stare at their eyes? I need some more clear direction because I thought we were just going to go spectate here, but it sounds a little James Bondist to me, honestly. You know, which I'm fine with. I just need to know which way to prepare my mind a, a little bit. And he's like, if you have sunglasses, go ahead and put them on. We ask everybody to, who comes into the red light district to wear sunglasses. I'm like, that wasn't on the packing list when you gave me the packing list sunglasses so that we could do spy work that wasn't on there. But I borrowed some from somebody. Sure enough, they drive us into the middle of this city a market area, stores up and down the street. We get out of the car, the car drives off, and we start walking down one of the blocks there. And there are what I would have considered Indian apartment buildings on both sides, just tall buildings They had windows. And just on the outside, it looked like, you know, what you would think of as apartment buildings in the nation of India. And I'm thinking we're walking towards the red light district, but it became really, really clear immediately that we were in the red light district. That what I thought were apartment buildings were actually just buildings filled with brothel after, brothel after brothel after brothel after brothel after brothel. And so he leads us in one and we walk up three or four flights of stairs. And we would go in this certain one because they're all owned by different brothel owners. And they had some favor with a, a few of them. And we walk in and it's a, it's a waiting room that's about the size of this stage. So not big at all. And along the edges of the wall were um, little, little were seats. And then inside the waiting room, there was a hallway, very short and narrow hallway. And inside that hallway, there were a few doors. And when we opened up the doors, it was a bedroom, but it looked more like a bathroom stall than an actual bedroom. And the only thing in it was a twin bed. There were locks on both sides of the doors. And we would go into one, and then we'd see the next one in this whole district. Buildings as far as your eye could see, block after block, filled with nothing but these brothels. And when we would walk in, we would see these young women sitting in these chairs in this waiting room, just waiting for the next customer. Now most of us, you know, our experience with prostitution is a story that sounds like, A young woman ran away from home, was rebellious, got addicted to drugs, got it over her head, eventually lost all her money. In order to finance her drug problem, she turned to prostitution. That's not the story if you are a worker in a brothel in India. That story is my parents were simple and uneducated. They lived out in the country, and a sophisticated man came out one day and said, Hey, we have great jobs for your daughters back in the big city. We'll take care of them. We'll love them. They'll be able to send money back home so you can support the rest of your family. It is a win-win. She's going to have a great time. And they drop them off in these cities bigger than the city of Houston where they don't know the language. They've never been. They don't know how they to get out they lose all their documentation and they are forced to be there or their husband was one of the worst human beings on planet earth had a drug problem of his own had a gambling problem of his own and in order to finance his own entertainment he sells his wife into one of these brothels that's their stories their story isn't i got rebellious and i lost track of my self-control So as I would look around this room, you see in their faces poor in spirit. Not just impoverished, but poor in spirit. And in this system that we live in, this world system, it works against the poor in spirit. What it wants to do is make the poor in spirit, poorer in spirit. What our world system does naturally on its own is it presses down the press down. And Jesus comes in and he said, but in my kingdom, the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's justice for the poor in spirit. There's also justice for those who mourn. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. You see, the injustice of mourning is not just that we mourn loss because that's going to happen to all of us. The injustice of mourning is that we're going to have to eventually mourn again. You remember the story. Jesus is uh, walking through a town or a village and a religious leader comes to him because his daughter is sick and he wants Jesus to come back to the house. And Jesus agrees. And on their way to the house, Jesus heals the lady who had been bleeding for 12 plus years. And uh, by the time Jesus is to the house, somebody's already came and said the daughter has passed away leave Jesus alone. And, but Jesus is not deterred. He, he goes into the house and people are mourning there. The Bible says that they're weeping and they're wailing and And Jesus says, quit crying because she's just asleep. Now, that was insulting to them because she was not just asleep. They know the difference between asleep and dead. In fact, they had, I'm sure, laid themselves over her body as as they mourned, as they wept, as they wailed. They knew that there was no life in her. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. Quit your crying. She's just asleep. And sure enough, Jesus goes in and wakes her up from the dead. Beautiful story. But because of the world we live in, eventually that house was going to be filled with mourning again. Great aunt such and such was going to pass away and they were going to cry. Grandpa was going to come to the end and they were going to cry. More tragedy was going to happen. That's the injustice of mourning here on planet Earth. Is that it's not just one time and then it's over. It's a cycle of mourning. But Jesus comes in and he says, no, because of Advent, because Jesus has arrived, because he was the king who's now stepped into his kingdom, the mourning will be comforted. There's justice for those who mourn. There's also justice for the gentle or the meek. Verse 5, blessed are the gentle, your version may say meek, because they will inherit the earth. How many of you, just bravely today, uh, just would admit in elementary school you were the teacher's pet? Does anybody just teacher's pet? yeah you don't want to brag about it, but you were and and ninety percent of you were women, ninety percent of you were girls, there's no elementary boy who is a teacher's pet because that uh, elementary boys can't sit still. You know, they do their math homework like this. You know, this is just the way they do. And they stand up and they won't sit still. You know, you know how you can tell the difference between a boy and a girl. It's just look down at their shoe. The girl will have her shoe tied and the boy will have none of his shoes tied. And some of you men right now, your shoe's untied and you didn't even notice, but your wife noticed and she's bothered by it. She didn't want to say anything right now, but, uh, but she is, right? So no boys are the teacher's pet, only the girls, because the girls are better behaved. And, and to be a teacher's pet... You not only need to be well-behaved, but there, there needs to be a certain amount of personality in you that likes to be the center of attention. You don't accidentally become the teacher's pet. You want to be the teacher's pet, therefore you do things To become the teacher's pet. And here's how I know that. Because one of my children is the teacher's pet. Annabeth is in first grade. She writes love notes to her teachers. They're so encouraging. Like I feel built up and equipped in my faith after I read... Her notes to her teachers—it's unbelievable. But she likes it. She's the first to volunteer. Uh, you know, if if she's not the first to volunteer, she's the first one to get up out of her seat and just go and stand there. Uh, she's a joy to be around. She's the perfect teacher's pet. But she's got that personality that likes to be in the middle of everything. Jackson, our fourth grader, he's a little bit different. He's got an infectious personality. He's a joy to be around. But he's just gonna get his little crew of guys, and they're gonna have a good time. You know, he might volunteer or he might not. If you called on him, you know, if I asked Annabeth to come and help me with the sermon today, she's already gotten written. I mean, she she's just ready. She wouldn't even. She'd just go off the cuff. She'd love it. But Jackson, if I called him up here, he it would really. He, I don't, he wouldn't like it. And so he's not going to be the teacher's pet in his class. So we were totally shocked. We were totally shocked. Uh, About a month ago, he came home and told us that he was running for student council in his little class. And honestly, I was pumped that he would have that bravery and courage to just go for it. It was great. They were going to elect two people uh, from his class, and uh, it was going to be awesome. So he had to give a speech. And and so I was excited because I was like, man, well, I can help you give a speech. That's what I do every single day. I was a little disappointed because his speech was so amazing. I wasn't going to be able to help him with anything. And, And then I was losing my moment to look awesome as a dad, you know. His speech was awesome. He was running on the platform of more food in the cafeteria, which I thought was a, <laughs> I thought was a strong, strong platform to, to be running on. And he did a great job of delivering it. And and so, uh, uh, to to me there in the house the day before, the night before the big election, he uh, comes to me and it's 8:30. It's I mean, it's almost bedtime, and, and Amanda's gone that night for some reason. And he's like, I need a poster for tomorrow. I mean, this is why little boys are not the teacher's pets, you know. <laughs> like, that would have been great to know three days ago. That would have been fine to know three hours ago. But, like, we're out of luck. Like, I'm not packing up your middle sister and then our infant to go to Walmart to buy you some poster board so that you can draw a stick figure on it and say, vote for Jackson. Like, we're not doing that <laughs> for all of that. I'm like, why don't we make flyers? We can print them out. And so we got online we made a flyer. It was a good one. It was strong. It was, uh, it was, we totally plagiarized Nike. It was just do it with the swoosh, vote for Jackson Jones. It was awesome. We printed out a bunch. I'm like, pass these out right, out right before the vote. That's You want to be in the minds of the voters. It's going to be good. <laughs> Nike, maybe that's going to have some appeal. So we sent him off that day. I mean, he was honestly the most nervous I've probably ever been in my whole life while he was at school. And, you know, how did it go and all that. He gets off the bus and he's got that smile on his face as he does every day when he gets off the bus. But then we're standing there ready to hear what happened. And he sees our face and his face immediately drops, which we know he didn't win the election. So he's telling the story of what happened. And what happened was there are two, what I'm assuming are very, very sweet girls in his class that got 90% of the vote. (laughs) And everyone else in the class that ran got one or two votes because that's just the world we live in that those who have the personality those who have the platform those who have the influence they're going to be pushed out in the front and the meek and the gentle and the strong but quiet they're going to be pushed to the back I mean, can you imagine right now in our election climate that we're already in, somebody running who we would describe as meek and then them having a chance? No, they'd be drowned out. They would be voiced out. They would be shouted down. Because that's not how it works in this world's system. The meek are pushed to the back. But look at the justice that happens in the kingdom of Jesus Blessed are the gentle, the meek, because they will inherit the earth. What this says is in the kingdom of Jesus, the meek win all the elections. It's not the loudest that get the most votes in the kingdom of Jesus. It's those who are strong, but under control. It's those who have power, but are reserved. Those are the ones who win the elections. There's justice for the meek. Blessed are those... Verse 6, who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. There's justice for those who want righteousness. We look out to the news and it just breaks our heart because we see the devastating effects of sin. It's the same heart in us that was in Jesus when he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem and he just begins to weep and he begins to have a broken heart and he says Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says, how I'd wish that I could just tuck you underneath my wings how I could protect you like a mother hen would protect her chicks because he can see the devastating effects of sin that it's caused and is going to continue to cause and we look out on our world and that same heart should be in us and we want righteousness, we want justice, we want things that should be done to be done but the things that should be done aren't being done things that aren't shouldn't be done uh, are being done but in the kingdom of Jesus it should be and it is are the same thing next there's justice for the merciful verse 7 blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy you know we love the golden rule the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, the thing we never talk about at church is what happens when you practice the golden rule and then they don't do unto you the way that you did to them. You know, we never talk about what are you supposed to do when they don't return the favor. We don't talk about when you scratch their back and they don't scratch yours. We don't talk about when you rub her f- foot and she doesn't rub your feet. You know. <laughs> we don't talk about whenever you could fire off a hateful, below-the-belt email or text message, and you don't, and then you get one instead. We don't talk about what you should do, because most of us don't know what to do. But in the kingdom of Jesus, those who show mercy are shown mercy. But he doesn't say that those who show mercy are shown mercy from the person that you gave mercy to. Because more likely what's going to happen is when you show mercy to somebody as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, they're probably not going to return the favor. We wish that they would, but the honest truth is that most people don't live by that golden rule. We do whatever we want, when we want, how we want. But when you show mercy and you don't receive mercy, God steps in and gives you his mercy. So you're not getting mercy from them. You're actually getting mercy from something better. You're getting mercy from him. Next, there's justice for the pure in heart. Justice for the pure in heart. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. The world prays on the pure, and the world does not respect innocence. Right now, there's a channel on television, it's a family channel that's even in its name, that is showing uh, 25 days of Christmas movies, you know, leading up to Christmas. And they're showing all the classics. They're showing cartoons. And so I've recorded a bunch, you know, for our kids. And uh, yesterday or the day before, we had put one on. It was a cartoon. It was honestly a cartoon. And I'm in our bedroom, and I hear Amanda yell out and kind of shriek. And I run in, and she's running for the remote control because what had happened in the middle of this family network in the middle of the cartoon was – commercials that weren't aimed at children. They were aimed at young adults. And honestly, there were things in those commercials that I don't want to be exposed to, let alone my fourth grade and first grade children. But our world doesn't respect what's pure and it doesn't honor innocence. It didn't dawn on anybody at the network, hey, you know what? We're showing these cartoons for kids. That's going to be our audience today. Maybe we shouldn't put these commercials in the middle of this cartoon for young children. It didn't dawn on anybody at the headquarters. Why? Because our culture doesn't respect innocence, it doesn't honor purity. Even YouTube, right now, parents, we have to be careful with YouTube because you can start, uh, you know, your kids are watching a Lego video on YouTube. You can start by they're watching a Minecraft video, which who knows even on God's green earth what that is, but people are into it. They're watching bunnies and fish becoming friends. They're watching something totally awesome. And that little square on YouTube, it's great and it's, 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 it's perfect. But in the, the column next to the little video is maybe some stuff that isn't quite as perfect. And your kids are just two clicks away from some images that they will never get out of their minds. Our kids are going to accidentally stumble on some things that will be burned into their heart and mind for the rest of their lives. Why? Because our culture doesn't honor or respect innocence and purity. Men, have you noticed on our favorite sports website right now, just in the last four or five months, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, they're putting these totally trashy links. Like It'll show you a picture of somebody's nose and it was like, which celebrity you know, had some work done in the last two months? And you're like, I don't really care, but now that you said it, I kind of want to know. And so you click through. Or it's maybe not something as weird as that. It's like, you know, top ten places to vacation in Columbia, South America. And you're like, I don't have any plans to go to Columbia, but now I'm interested in the top 10 places I wonder which one came in number one and you click through and when you click through yeah it's that article but now you're exposed to a bunch of different stuff and now you're going to see some things that you can't ever unsee why just because you wanted to know how many points James Harden scored last night and you're two clicks away from pollution because our culture doesn't respect innocence and it doesn't honor purity But there's a reward for purity. See, that's the hard thing. That's the hard thing for us is there's no reward for purity in this world. If you don't click through, nobody's going to come alongside of you and put their arm around you and be like, Hey, I saw you not click through, and I just want you to know I'm proud of you. And here's a $100 gift card. If you and your spouse decide, you know what, we'll be fine if we don't go and see this violently R-rated movie, we'll be fine. People are going to ask, you know, hey, did you see such and such? Yeah. And you're like, no. And they're like, why not? And you don't want to be prude and you don't want to be weird and you don't want to be judgmental. So you end up going, eh. Nobody's going to come up to you when you go buy movie tickets to the Peanuts movie instead of that movie. And as you're getting popcorn, they're going to go, hey, I just want you to know I'm with you all the way. All these other people, they're going to see that, and we bless them, and we don't judge them. But I saw what you did. I saw that you wanted to see it. I, I saw that you liked movies, and I, was on the, I saw all that. And I saw, for purity's sake and innocence sake, you did it. And I just want you to know I'm buying your popcorn. There's no reward for purity and innocence in this world. But there is in the kingdom of Jesus. And look what it is. The pure in heart, they will see God. So some of us, we have the word of God. And you own it. You own not one copy. You own 50 copies. And 40 of those copies look like you ran over it with your truck. That's how into it you are. But recently in these days, you're just not getting anything out of it. And it may be not that the word has changed because it isn't. It may be that my mind, I'll lead first, my mind, and then maybe you with me, our minds are so polluted that we can't see God in the pages of the word of God. And you may be thinking, well, that's, then that ship has sailed for me. If innocence and purity is the way to see God, then I am blind for the rest of my life because I am not innocent and I am not pure. And let me just say to you as one who can out the best of them, one who has been in all kinds of terrible situations. One who has been self-righteous. So I'm on both sides. If you've had secrets or you've been self-righteous, I've spanned the whole globe. And just let me tell you, he can restore your innocence. He can rebuild your purity. All of that garbage that is in your mind that you put there or somebody else put there or accidentally got there, he can restore all of that. And when that purity and innocence is restored, man, it's amazing how many more times you notice God did that. And I see his hand. And you know what? Today, I haven't woke up in a long time and really wanted to read the Bible, but today it's just like a craving. And prayer's not really been my thing, but man, something's changed in me and I just can't help it anymore. Because there's a reward in the kingdom of Jesus for purity and innocence. There's justice for the peacemakers. Verse nine Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. You gotta think about Israel's history as Jesus is speaking this out loud on this mountainside. In the first century, Israel was ruled by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire had their strategy of Pax Romana, which meant the peace of Rome, and their process for peace was military presence. They kept the peace with the threat of violence. And so when the Jewish people there on the mountain with Jesus that day came down off the mountain and returned back to their village, they were going to see evidence of the Roman army everywhere. They were going to see the soldiers dressed in their armor. They were going to see the swords. They were going to see the horses. They were going to see the helmets. They were going to see all of that. And they hated it. In the same way that you would feel today if we left church And the crossing guard, the security officer, waving us out of the parking lot is not an American citizen. He's not wearing an American police uniform. He's wearing some foreign government's uniform that's going to make you angry as a citizen of this country. They were angry that the Romans were there. And then these Roman soldiers that were there, they weren't the kind that were like, I see the cause and I believe in the vision and I want to help people, so I'm signing up for the Roman Empire. By this time in history, the the soldiers stationed stationed in Israel were mercenaries. They were just violent people. So instead of trying to pretend that they weren't violent people, they just aligned their vocation and their violence together. So they would take advantage of the Jewish people. They would steal from the Jewish people. They'd rape the Jewish people. They'd do whatever they want. So the Israelites hated the Romans. And in the middle of all that, Jesus says in his kingdom, the peacemakers are the ones. I don't think any of them were like, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's what I want too. That's what I feel is peace. It's probably not that much different than how a lot of us feel right now. Do you look out on the world? Does it feel like you want to work for peace? No. No, in this chaos, this culture of fear, moment of fear that we're living in, we're not going to feel very peaceful, but this is our opportunity to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the people on earth because you will never look more like your father in heaven than you are when you are working towards peace. That's what he says. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Listen, when somebody in your office, when they make that horribly offensive, racist comment, and before you were maybe the kind of person that either joined in or just let it side slide, why don't you work for peace and go, stop that. Stop it. You do that whenever you want, but not while I'm in the break room. That's not what we're doing here. I'm not a part of that. I'm working towards peace. When you're talking with somebody and they got some harebrained, awful, racist, horrible, bigotried minded strategy for the world that's your moment to go i don't i don't think so i don't think so i think there's a better way and we will differentiate ourselves among the people of planet earth now when when the world is shouting for violence and war and fear we go we don't live in that world we don't live in that kingdom we live in the kingdom of jesus and jesus says when it's in my power and control I should work for peace and the last thing in the kingdom of Jesus there's justice for the persecuted blessed are those verse 10 who are persecuted for righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs I know that persecution feels like it's a million miles away that's a Syria problem that's a Nigeria problem that's a China problem, but that's actually a Houston, Texas problem. Right now, uh, if I, as a pastor, wanted to go to India, I'm halfway there. I got my passport, could buy my plane ticket, but when I sign up for a visa to get into the country of India as a pastor, I would be immediately denied by our consulate here in Houston. The Indian consulate in Houston would not even think twice before they stamp down denied on a visa for me to go to India because I'm a pastor. If you work for a Christian agency right now, if you wanted to go to India on a humanitarian aid mission, but the organization that you were going to partner with was a Christian organization, there's a 90% chance the Houston Consulate of India would deny you access because there's some crazy stuff happening over there right now. Under the guise of business, business development, there's an underlying surface of persecution of Christians. And that has spread to Houston, Texas. Now, it's not the most intense persecution in the world, but it is those who have power preventing Christianity from changing the status quo. That's where persecution comes from. When Christianity poses a threat to the status quo, and Christianity, when done right, always poses a threat to the status quo. It poses a threat to the status quo of your office. It poses a threat to the status quo of your family. It poses a threat to the status quo of this nation. It always poses a threat to those who have the power and don't want to share it. And that's where persecution comes from. But look what happens to the persecuted in the kingdom of Jesus. There's justice because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, Jesus, he understands justice and he definitely understands injustice. He was betrayed. Injustice. All his friends abandoned him. Injustice. He was falsely accused. Injustice. He was falsely testified against. Injustice. He was falsely convicted. Injustice. He was tortured for a crime he didn't commit. Injustice. He was given a sentence that was way heavier than it needed to be. Even if he had been guilty, which he wasn't. Injustice. He was crucified. An innocent man. Injustice. And how did they top off the injustice to the king of this kingdom they put a crown of thorns on his head injustice and he put up with all that he didn't fight it he didn't resist he didn't speak up for himself like a lamb to the slaughter he went Why? He suffered injustice so that he could open up the doors of his kingdom of justice to you. So that you and I can be broken out of this world of pain and death and cancer and hell and poverty so that you and I could be rescued from that kingdom and put in a kingdom of justice. He took the injustice. And that's the gospel today. The gospel today is that Jesus is a king prophesied about, foretold, celebrated, heralded, proclaimed. And he has opened the doors of his kingdom to you. And anybody who wants to walk in can walk in. Whether you are totally innocent today or totally guilty today or somewhere in between, all of us are welcome in the kingdom of Jesus kingdom of justice and that's what advent means to us all that possible because he arrived let's pray Jesus we thank you for your arrival we thank you for your welcoming grace-giving spirit. We receive that today. We receive that today. In powerful name.